back to Exponential Finance, the podcast covering finance, technology and innovation, from our home in Japan and beyond. API3 is a collaborative project to deliver traditional API services to smart contract platforms in a decentralized and trust-minimized way. It is governed by a decentralized autonomous organization, its code is open source and its operations are completely transparent. In November, API3 announced the closing of their seed investment round with Placeholder, Pantera Capital, Accomplice, Coin Fund, Digital Currency Group and Hashed Participating, among others. API3 has raised $3 million in exchange for 10 million API3 tokens, representing 10% of the total supply. And now, please welcome Heike Ventanen, co-founder at API3. Hey, Norbert. Good morning, how are you? Doing fine, thanks. How are you? Good, good. The announcement of the investment round with six major investors and a few others in November for 10% of the token made quite some waves, largely due to the Coindesk article that your team had a rebuttal for as well, but it was positioned very briefly and got very popular read as a chain link killer. That wasn't our coin term. It was more the reporter. But I understand that there's this need from reporters to get clicks for their articles. And it's understandable from that perspective. But, but yeah, we never try to coin ourselves as the chain killer. I think there is plenty of room for multiple solutions in our space. And we take the approach of just connecting APIs to the blockchain, whereas Chainlink has this more generalized model where basically you have this Oracle network in between any data source and the blockchain. So we're coming at it from a different angle, but PR is PR and the reporters get to choose the title themselves. So not much we can do. It takes a bit the mystique away in the blockchain world for the last two or three years. There's always this discussion about the Oracle problem and it was really mythical, hard to understand how to resolve it. And you kind of take a very sober approach to that and say, well, it's APIs taking original data sources and bridging APIs into a decentralized world, which sounds plain and simple. Well, that's mostly what these Oracle solutions are being used for right now anyway. So essentially taking data from multiple APIs and then relaying them onto an aggregation contract on chain, which acts as consensus engine in the sense that it gets rid of outliers and then aggregates that into a single value that can be used to execute a smart contract. So essentially what we're doing with API3 is just getting rid of the third-party node operators as the middlemen and having the data providers themselves operate this very simple API gateway that enables their API be called by Web3 applications and smart contracts. So instead of having the structure where you have the aggregation contract on chain connected to this very decentralized network of nodes that is then connected to the data sources. We basically connect the aggregation contract to the data sources directly, which gets rid of this sort of over redundant layer of nodes, which doesn't really provide additional decentralization against anything other than itself. Like if you take decentralization as a security metric, where the more decentralized a network is, the more difficult it is to hack it. So the more difficult it is to manipulate through a civil attack or a collusion attack. The only civil attacks and collusion attacks that the Oracle network is protecting against are civil attacks and collusion attacks against itself. If you get rid of that whole network of nodes, 
what you arrive at is the same level level of decentralization that you had in the first place. Essentially, the decentralization is determined at the level of the data sources. So if, so if you're using five APIs that are connected to this decentralized network of nodes that is then connected to the aggregation contract, you'd have the same level of decentralization if you just had those five APIs running their own Oracle nodes and then connected those directly to the aggregation contract. So what I'm getting at here is that it obviously becomes more difficult to attack the Oracle layer if you have more nodes in it, but the most secure approach is that you have the, the actual data providers running the nodes themselves. Plus the argument was also one of transparency. So if you have the data providers mm -hmm. running the nodes directly, you know exactly who's behind that. While if it's clouded in a middleman, then it's not quite clear what the quality of the data source in the background is. Yeah, exactly. You can't treat the middleman as the source if it's not the factual source of the data. It doesn't matter if you have 21 nodes connected to an aggregation contract, if those 21 nodes are on the back end connected to a single API. And if you don't have transparency all the way to the source level, then it's difficult to estimate what that true level of decentralization is. And you end up trusting whoever put that data feed together. So there's always a managing party or a governor of that data feed. And in the case of these existing solutions is often the core team that puts these decentralized data feeds together. And then they decide how many APIs get used and which nodes they connect to. But if you basically make the data source level opaque, then you're just trusting the core team that they have some adequate level of decentralization in place. Whereas if you use first party oracles, you can always see where the data is coming from. And ideally, you would even go to the source level with the API. So you'd use exchange APIs instead of aggregated APIs. And then you do aggregation on chain. But yes, it provides a lot more transparency into the process. Certainly different solutions for different problems, but when we're arguing about capital markets or in this case of DeFi application in particular, where we're relying on pricing financial data, typically one wants to know exactly what the data source is and make a judgment as to what is being used. And so it seems to be tailor-made and very good fit for this type of application. It provides that transparency. It provides a bit more security in the sense that even if you have a very decentralized Oracle layer in between, there is always some level of risk of there being some sort of collusion or civil attack, whereas you don't have those risks at all when you work with the first party data providers and the node operators. And then also you get the added level of transparency into the whole process, in addition to also aligning the financial interests in this whole structure. So instead of a lot of the compensation going to the middleman, you can actually flow that compensation all the way to the source level. So it also incentivizes the data providers in a better sense, because right now, if one of these third-party node operators is connected to an API, they usually do it through just one of these Web2 API subscriptions, and those aren't really scaled for Web3 use. So you can actually provide data to a blockchain use case with oftentimes even like a freemium plan because they include enough calls for the number of transactions that currently take place in Web3. The number of transactions in Web3 is orders of magnitude lower than it is in Web2, which enables Web2 subscriptions to be used in very cheap rates in the Web3 environment. So what you don't get is first of all, you don't really get even the permission to use the data in any sort of resold fashion or sort of a production manner. You also don't get any service level agreements or anything like that. So when you actually work with the data provider themselves as the node operator, you have a better ability to be insured of a high level of service than if you're using premium API key or a very low level plan. 
Then you also have the Airnode, which seems to be the standardized infrastructure so that when I'm a data provider, I don't have to go and figure out how to build that that's provided as an open source construct and everybody uses pretty much the same rather than different people having slightly different technical variations. So you create this Oracle integration spec and, and then you deploy the AirNode on whatever cloud provider you're using for the API itself or the, the API gateway that enables the API to be called from Web3 application sort of becomes a part of the API itself. And that takes less than a day. The actual deployment takes three minutes to deploy a, an AirNode and you can deploy it for free and then scale up in terms of security and the services that you use based on the actual demand for your API data. You can essentially already deploy an air node and then just have it running for when that demand appears because you sort of have this chicken and egg problem in the Web3 space where you don't have a lot of demand for a certain type of data then the data provider isn't really incentivized to deploy an Oracle node that would enable smart contract developers to connect to the API. And if that API isn't connectable, then again, you don't have the developers who would want to build on something that isn't even really available for them. It solves that chicken and egg problem by enabling the data providers to deploy this simple serverless function that is free to operate and set and forget. And then once that demand comes around, it enables them to, first of all, monetize that demand but also provide it in a very sort of secure and controlled fashion. So they retain the control over their data instead of having a third party resell that data to the consuming party. One of the things that came out on your blog as well was that some of these data providers are old-fashioned traditional companies who might not have had exposure to crypto yet and maybe are not comfortable legally transacting in it either. So they would prefer not to be involved in paying for gas fees or even getting the rewards in crypto. So how is that being handled? Where does the crypto to fiat conversion take place? We've been working with API providers for quite a bit here. We built this API marketplace called Honeycomb, which listed more than 20 APIs in the time that we ran it. And that was powered by the Chainlink Decentralized Oracle Network. We took a lot of lessons from what we did with Honeycomb into API 3 and all the discussions that we had with API providers. And for the most part, the API providers are very focused on the type of data that they provide. So whether API providers are mostly focused on getting the most reliable weather data for an area instead of things like blockchain and smart contracts and cryptocurrencies, they don't really know anything about those. And so any solution that you provide for connecting their API to that market needs to work on that level of knowledge and that can't assume that the data providers know a lot about the technology that you're connecting their API to. The existing solution for that is that you have a third-party team operate the node for them, which enables them to sell the data to these, these use cases. But then once you do that, the connection point to their data is the third-party Oracle instead of the API. So they essentially lose control over who gets access to their data. And also the data is mainly monetized by the third-party Oracle node, this problem of control that takes place. But then also the data providers traditionally aren't very excited about dealing in crypto. There's a lot of volatility. You don't know how to actually report it in your taxes and also how to actually maintain it in your books. Any solution that would provide a scalable way of data providers being able to provide their data to Web3 needs to take that into consideration and data providers shouldn't have to deal with crypto. So the way that the AirNode does that is by having the data requester pay for the gas fees. So there is essentially a crypto wallet in the AirNode that gets funded by the requester. And then those funds are used for the gas fees. So actually the data provider themselves doesn't need to deal in crypto at all. And the requester pays for the gas fees always. 
that's just part of the solution. The other part is that you don't actually need to know anything about crypto or smart contracts to run an air node. For the current solutions, for the most part, you need someone who knows a thing or two about smart contracts and not only smart contracts in Ethereum, but also the actual Oracle solution that they're employing if they want to run the node themselves. And since that is quite a bit of learning that needs to be done or education and knowledge that needs to be available to the team, it's not really feasible to expect that most of these API providers will either learn those things or hire a full-time smart contract developer to run this Oracle software for them which then, again, necessitates this third-party Oracle approach. The air node is just a very simple serverless function that is set and forget, so the data providers can deploy that without knowing anything about smart contracts, Ethereum, or Oracles. We position it as an API gateway instead of an Oracle node, even though it's called air node, but that's mainly towards the blockchain industry, so they know what they're dealing with here, essentially an Oracle node. In reality, it's just a very simple API gateway for the Web3 the Honeycomb background is super interesting. There is quite some effort invested in figuring these things out. And so API 3 is really the result of that long effort. Was the original intention to create a business on the changing infrastructure and see if that works and can scale to a reasonable size? Or was it merely an experiment? What was the original intent? It was sort of both, I suppose. It was our attempt at scaling the amount of available data for smart contract developers and doing that on the primary solution at the time, which was Chainlink. We started off in the, in the Chainlink ecosystem back in 2018, just thinking about how we can, can help the project scale in the general sense. And then we took this approach of scaling the amount of available data instead of these integrations and so on. The original idea there was to make it very simple for data providers to start serving their data because from the beginning, we didn't expect them to be able to run the infrastructure themselves or the software themselves. Then that basically required some middle solution for that, which was us creating all of the required external adapters and then just having the API providers provide a key that would allow any Chainlink node to call the API through the external adapter that we created. That provided this model where it would be very simple for any API provider to get connected to the Chainlink Oracle network. And we work with the best Chainlink nodes in the network to provide this data for smart contracts. And since the model was pretty simple from the API provider's perspective, we were able to scale that to quite a few APIs. But what we sort of learned is that there wasn't a lot of existing demand from smart contract developers to just connect to these APIs because for the most part, the gas fees were quite high. And also there wasn't an entity that would form these decentralized data feeds from the APIs that we had listed and created these external adapters for. It was like an experiment at the same time as it was an honest effort at trying to scale the amount of data available in the, in the chain network. And when along this process, did you realize that you actually want to build a completely different solution? The motivation for that was we just realizing that this model of third-party middlemen isn't really feasible for the long term. The sheer inefficiencies that get derived from that for the most part, a lot of data sources are only being fed by a single API. So if you take the example of these decentralized data feeds for price reference data, they're great because you can you can get price reference data from full exchanges and you, you can use CoinGecko APIs and CoinMarketCap APIs. But if you don't have multiple sources, you might just have a single API, then it becomes very inefficient to use the third-party Oracle layer in between the smart contract and the API because you can only feasibly get the data from a single source. But you want the security of decentralization as well when you're connecting that to the smart contract on chain. So you'd actually have to use multiple oracles, but you can cut that whole thing away if you have the data provider running the node because you're always trusting the API provider at the end. 
So that's just for the types of APIs that we were providing through Honeycomb. That was realization that we got is that, hey, why would you connect this API using 10 Oracle nodes so that there isn't an Oracle node level attack when you could actually just have that same API provider operate the node and it would be as trustless as calling the API itself. It would be more secure, more reliable than using these 10 nodes in between. And then also seeing the way that these data feeds for price reference data are set up today, seeing the opaqueness of that system in the sense that you weren't able to see all the way to the source level where the data is coming from. We had visibility to a lot more information that the average user of that data feed in the sense of where, where the data was coming from and the whole process of governing those data feeds. And we sort of saw that as non-optimal. Ideally, you would actually have a decentralized governing entity instead of this centralized party that's telling nodes which APIs to connect to and then also composes the whole data feed in the sense like which nodes are, are being used and so on. You're putting a lot of trust on that centralized entity in composing the data feed, but also making sure that there is a certain level of decentralization in place at the source level, which isn't seen. So when you're willing to put that level of trust into a centralized entity, it would be more efficient to just have that centralized entity run a centralized Oracle node, because at least that would then be efficient instead of having these multiple nodes in between as middlemen in the process. Like all of these lessons that we learned in actually doing this and operating this middleware led to us believing that actually Gordian knot here or cutting the Gordian knot is basically getting rid of the whole third-party Oracle layer and having the data providers operate the nodes themselves. Got it. So again, there's lots of experience behind it. It didn't start necessarily with the white paper. The, the white sure. paper is the outcome of all these experimentation, which is, there's lots of substance in there. Lessons from the business development side, but also the technical side, also on the governance layer and everything. So it's sort of pulling together all those lessons into a single suggestion for how to go forward and in solving this problem. Now we've got the API3 token, which is a classic governance token in the first place. So it gives you the voting rights in the DAO, is that correct? The way that it works is you stake the token into this insurance pool, which then mints you rep in the DAO. Rep is just governance shares, essentially, that allow you to vote on proposals. And what the staking function does, it aligns the interests of the DAO with the interest of the data feed consumers. If there is a data feed malfunction, the losses incurred are compensated to the data feed consumer from the insurance pool. All the DAO participants have direct skin in the game in the event of a data feed malfunction. And the incentive of the DAO is minimize the amount of data feed malfunctions in the API3 system. It does that in this trust minimized way where we use a Claros court to determine if the claim is valid. So if there's a data feed malfunction, the data feed consumer files a claim to the Claros court, which then decides if the claim is valid. And if it's valid, then it's programmatically paid from the insurance pool which means that the DAO itself can't decide if it wants to pay out or not. And currently, in the absence of staking solutions in the Oracle networks that are currently being employed, that's actually how these things have been solved in the past as well. So if there has been a data feed malfunction, the, the core team that manages those data feeds has just compensated for those losses to the party that incurred them. But that's not a very trust-minimized way of doing things. So what ideally you want is a dispute resolution mechanism that determines if the claim is valid instead of having that decision being made by the party governing the data feeds. That's the structure behind the token. It basically powers this insurance feature in addition to providing the governance rights in the DAO. And then also some obvious financial incentives as well for the stakers. 
And of course, ultimate decentralization takes some time. So if you look at the ownership structure, founders have 30%, you sold 15% already to strategic investors. It's clear that at the beginning, when the sole machine starts slowly rolling, you all will have a majority. And of course, you have the best interest in mind for API 3. And then over time, as people using it, and of course, with a sale of 20% now, you get some further decentralization. Ultimately, you want a much further decentralized ownership structure, I assume. Of course, I think the main idea is that you create structures and governance structures that decentralize over time. The engine behind the project is increasingly decentralized over time instead of having the opposite development happen. So instead of getting aggregated into the hands of the few, you decentralize the governance into the hands of the many over time. I'd almost go as far as to say that it is naive to think that projects can be at scale created in a way where the decentralization is complete from the first day then you're sort of just relying on founders doing this from altruism, and that's not a very scalable way for a whole industry to develop. But as long as the engine behind the governance is one that decentralizes the governance of the projects over time and does that in an acceptable time scale and time frame, year over year, you're getting into a more decentralized governance, then that's really what we should be striving for as an industry. Otherwise, like I said, it's not a scalable solution to expect projects to just pop up with 100% decentralized governance from day one, because then you get into the tragedy of the commons where no one really has ownership of the project and the project just sort of dies. So you want the core team to have a little bit more decision-making power initially, and then that to diminish over time, and there to be this community that takes on the ownership of the project. You certainly need funds, and that was part of the treasury, to fund ecosystem development and projects that help improve the overall functionality. Yeah, so we have an ecosystem fund that is reserved for this purpose. So essentially distributing tokens to projects employing API3 solutions and also builders who come in into the project and take it forward through creating valuable solutions for the DAO itself. So yes, there is an ecosystem fund. There's a partners and builders fund, which we used before essentially launching the project. So we have already have quite a few partners involved in building API 3 DAO. So the, the idea has been from the beginning to do this in a co-op way, I suppose, distribute as much as possible to individuals, but also to projects that have an interest in seeing API 3 succeed. So maybe a quick look into the roadmap to round it out. So clearly there's a token sale until everything is sold or December 14th, whatever comes sooner. And what are the next noteworthy milestones looking into 2021? I would look forward to the launch of the first DAPIs, so essentially the decentralized data feeds. I think we're looking at price reference data feeds initially, so providing common functionality of Oracle networks in the beginning, but doing that in a more transparent way using source level node operators or first party oracles as the sources of the data into the aggregation contract and, and making it very transparent and also easy to use and employ. Platform integrations is something that people might be interested in. So that's something that I mentioned is that we're talking to a lot of platforms in addition to Ethereum that are interested in employing these types of solutions and obviously also API providers. So we're talking to data providers who would be willing and interested in running the Air node, which would then make them available for any smart contract developer to integrate into their smart contract application. These are the discussions that we're having. I think you're going to be seeing a lot of development on this and in the public sense as well, like the next year. 
I would say those are probably, so API providers, decentralized application integrations, platform integrations, and so on. And also the growth of the DAO. So launching the actual authoritative DAO in the sense that token holders will be able to take their tokens into the insurance pool and take part in the governance. So that's also coming relatively soon. So there's a lot of development going on constantly. Probably that will also be something that you want to keep an eye out for. Super. Wonderful. Wishing you all the best. Very curious to follow the journey of API3. Really fascinating story and appreciate you taking the time. It's a very busy time for you, for sure. So thanks a lot, Taiki. Thanks, Robert.